Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We finished the book of Genesis last week. We talked about leaving the ancestral stories of the patriarchs uh, and that we are beginning the national saga, the national story uh, with the book of Exodus. So what we've missed, because we're in the second triennial, why is my camera not working? Um, We're in the second triennial year reading. And so we have missed the birth of Moses. So we get that that at the end of, of Genesis, Joseph's family has come to Egypt, right? They're hanging out with him. He's he's taking care of them. There's there was a famine, right? And his family comes to get food. And then they, he comes out to them. And so they all move down there. Jacob moves down there. Everybody moves down there. That's how we get to Egypt, where we become a populous nation. And we are, then there rises a Pharaoh who knew not Yosef. And we become oppressed. We become enslaved. And that's our the beginning of our story in the book of Exodus. We become enslaved by a Pharaoh that did not remember Joseph, that did not know Joseph. So uh, so that that's the beginning of the book, chapter one. And we get the birth of Moshe. We get the birth of Moses to uh, his mother, Yocheved, and his father. Um, and they she has to hide him because the decree has been given that all uh baby boys must be drowned in the Nile. Remember, she hides him and he survives and he's raised by the daughter of Pharaoh because he's put in the bulrushes in the Nile and he is raised by the daughter of Pharaoh as her own. He is adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh and he's raised in the palace uh, and one day sees a taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave and he comes out, he looks both ways. So this is not an act of passion. Moshe looks both ways and then murders the taskmaster. Once he does that, he becomes a fugitive. He has now committed an offense against Pharaoh by killing one of Pharaoh's officers. You're not allowed to do that. Uh, Only Pharaoh gets to decide that. And so Moshe becomes a fugitive. He flees to, uh, and he settles in Midian. He meets uh, Sipora at the well, because remember, these are betrothal scenes. It happens at a well because it has to. Um, and they meet at the well. He marries Sipora, who is the daughter of the high priest of Midian. Moses works for his father-in-law, like all good Jewish boys. Like he works for his father-in-law. And what does that mean? It means he uh, is a roetzon. He is a shepherd of his father-in-law's flocks. That's where we're at. All that happened before we opened the book to chapter three this morning. So Moshe uh, is now in Midian. He is the caretaker of his father-in-law's flock. Um, He is doing that work when we meet him this morning. All right. So we are at chapter three of the book of Genesis. So Moshe... He is the shepherd, um, a shepherd of the flock of Yitro Chotno, of Yitro, his father-in-law, Kohen Midian, the priest of Midian. 
and he drove the flock achar hamidbar. So um, he drives them into the back of the wilderness. So then we have to figure out, okay, well, what's the back? What's the front, <laughs> right? So one has to kind of figure out which way this would be oriented. Um, if <clears throat> if you orient towards the rising sun, that becomes Kedem, that becomes front or east. <clears throat> and Ahar, back means west. So he drives them westward and comes Elhar Elohim Choreva. He comes to that mountain of God, which is Chorev. All right. Now, already, some of you are going, wait, 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 wait. I thought it was Sinai, right? So we're not sure. There's either two different traditions about Chorev and Sinai. Scholars are still arguing about this. Um, It could be that one refers to more of an area and the other to a specific peak uh, in that area. Uh, we're, We're not sure. But we know that they are, at least by the time we get to a text that's put together, when all of these texts are put together and redacted into the final version that we have of the Torah, uh, already Chorev and Sinai, either one uh, is the mountain of God, the mountain where the people receive, of course, uh, Torah. So that's where Moshe is. Adonai Elav. Blabat esh mitoch hasne, and there appeared to him, meaning to uh, Moshe, a malach of Yudhe an angel of Yudhe from within the fire in the sne, so in the bush. Again, sne, a loan word, we're not sure exactly the origins of sne. But the tradition cannot ignore the fact that it sounds a lot like Sinai. So sne, the word for bush here, Sinai, um, absolutely being invoked uh, by the author, for sure, for sure. So um, an angel of God appears to Moshe from within a, 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 a piece of a piece of fire. What is a piece of fire? A flame, a fire from the sne, vayar, and he saw, he looked, vehine hasne boer baesh, and behold, the sne was, uh, was a flame baesh in fire. Vahasne, the disjunctive vav here, but the sne, enenu uka, was not consumed. It was not being consumed. All right. So I want you to remember this, this Hebrew. I want you to remember this verse. We're going to finish our study this morning with these words, which have a very different meaning by the time of the Middle Ages. So the sne is a, is a flame on fire, but it is not being consumed. And Moshe says, I must turn and see this amazing sight, this, this huge sight. Why doesn't the bush get burned up? And God saw. So look how much seeing is going on here. 
right? So appears, it's which is the same shoresh, the same root in Hebrew. So the malach is seen, right? It makes itself seen. So it appears. Um, and, and vayar v'hine asna. And so we get Moshe looking and seeing that the, the bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. Then Moshe purposefully turns aside to look closer at this appearance, at this, this thing, this sight. And then God sees. So Yudhevate sees that Moshe has turned to see, right, Lirot, and then only after that, Vayikra Elav Elohim Mitochasne. God calls to Moshe from within the Sne, Vayomer, and says, Moshe, Moshe, Vayomer, and he said, Hineni. So the double call, we get this with Avraham when the Malach calls to Avraham, who's about to slay Isaac. It's Avraham, Avraham, twice. We get it here as well. Moshe, Moshe. And Moshe answers. What do you answer when God speaks to you? What is the correct response? All of you know this now. The correct response is Hineni. Exactly. Here I am. I am ready. That is code for I am ready. Vayomer. And so this is God talking now. Altikrav halom. Like, don't come closer. Take off your sandal, your sandals from your feet. Ki hamakom asher ata omer alav admat kodeshu. Because the place that you are standing on, it is holy ground. And God continues. Anochi Elohe avicha. I am the God of your father, of your ancestor. Elohe Avraham, Elohe Yitzchak, Elohe Yaakov. I am the God of Avraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Yaakov. Vayaster Moshe Panav, and and Moshe hid his face because he was in awe. And he, so it, remember in Hebrew, fear and awe, same word, yirah. Um, they are very closely related. We've had this discussion many times about why, how, but he, he is in this state of, of awe that is very close to fear, um, in terms of looking at God. And Yudhevat, here's it's Elohim. And now we get in verse seven, Yudhevafe. And so Yudhevafe says, Ra'o ra'iti et ani ami. Well, have I seen the suffering of my people that are in Mitzrayim. Ve'etza'akatam shamati and their cry, I have heard. I have listened. I have, meaning this is a response, right, to that cry. Because of their taskmasters, I am mindful. Yadati, I am, I know. Remember yada, this is a yada to know is an intimate term, is an intimate word. God intimately knows their suffering. And I am coming down, <laughs> right? So don't make me come down there too late, right? Mom says, I am coming down there, <laughs> right? Be very afraid. So God says, I'm coming down. 
to save it, my people, from the hand of Egypt and to bring them up from the land, from that land, El Eretz Tova or Chava, to a, a good land, a wide, expansive land. I'm going to bring them, El Eretz Zvat Chalavudvash. I'm going to bring them to a land of milk and honey, to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Chivim, what are they? The Hivites and the Jebusites. So that's who's living there now, but that's the land that's going to belong to my people. The Atta. And now, what's happened? The cry of the people Israel has come to me. And we know about Sa'aka, don't we? We know what that means. We know that's the cry of the oppressed, the cry of the vulnerable. And when the cry, the Sa'aka of the vulnerable reaches the divine, dun, 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 there's going to be trouble for whoever has caused that Sa'aka. God cannot but respond to the Sa'aka, the cry of the oppressed and the vulnerable. And so that, so God's responding, right? That the, their tzaka has come to me. Okay, that means we're going to have action now. And I've also seen the lachats, right? The, 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 you know, literally pressure, but the pressing down right on them that Mitzrayim has done to them. Ve'ata, and now I'm going to send you El Paro, and bring out my people from Egypt. And so Moshe says, okay, great. I am so psyched to work for you. God, heh, no, Moses is a Jew. So what does Moses say? Who am I? Who am I to go to Pharaoh and, and bring out the people of Israel from Egypt? And what does God answer? This is who you are. This is your destiny. I know your talents better than you do. No. God answers, Ki imach. I will be with you. And this is for you, ha'ot, the sign. Ki anochi shlachticha. That it is I who sent you. In your taking out the people from Mitzrayim. To bring them to serve God on this very mountain. Foreshadowing, right? This amazing moment. Um, we're going to go back and, and talk about. So just put, put it in your head. Moshe says, Who am I? I'm a friggin' shepherd. Like what? What? Like uh, What? And does God give the assurance that you are the man for this job? You are the man for this hour. You are the only one who can do this. No, God says, I will be with you. And that will be your sign that I sent you. Okay. So think about that. What kind of sense does that answer make? Okay. So does Moshe go, all right, long as you're with me, we're good. We're good. Give me my staff. Give me my stuff. And I will take care of business. No. This is an Israelite. <laughs> this is a person fit for leadership. 
And a person fit for leadership is a person who doesn't want the job. (laughs) Right? This is, so some people say this is part of the test. This is all part of God figuring out, is Moshe really the guy for this? Moshe thinks he's giving reasons to get out of it. When in fact, all he's doing is proving to God that he's the right choice. It's very Jewish. Vayomer Moshe, El Elohim. So Moshe says to God, so I'm going to go to the people and tell them the God of your ancestors sent me the Amuli. And they're going to say to me, Mashmo. Well, yeah. Well, what's his code name? Ma Marilyn. And what am I supposed to say to them? I don't know anything about you. Who, who are, who are you? You're telling me you're their God. Well, who the heck is that? Are you Ra? Are you Isis? Are you Plony Ben Plony? Who who are you? By Yomer Elohim Moshe. And God says to Moshe, here we go. Here's the famous answer. Eyeh Asher Eyeh. By Yomer. Kotomar Livnei Yisrael. Eyeh Shalachani Aleichem. God answers Moshe. It's a hard thing to translate. Eyeh I will be what I will be. And God said, So will you say to the people of Israel, I will be sent me to y'all. That's the code. Tell them, to Moshe, God answers, to the people, you're supposed to say, Eh, yes, sent me. And they'll get it. Or you don't need to worry about it. <laughs> this is what you're going to say. So we're going to talk a little bit about how much sense this answer makes. Vayomer. And God says, Ud. God keeps talking here. So God, God says uh, more stuff, El Moshe, to Moses. So shall you say to the people of Israel, yud hey vav the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob sent me to y'all. Zeshmi le'olam v'zezichri l'dor v'ador. This is my name forever. And this, zichri, which is an interesting, right? What is, you know, zecher, what is that all about? Usually it's about memory. Right. This is how I am remembered. This is how I'm known. Lador Vador from generation to generation. So Moshe is with his father-in-law's flock, the priest of Midian. He's got them out in the wilderness, presumably, right, looking for something to eat. He comes to the mountain of God, and a Malach appears to him out of a fire in a bush. We've talked about this before. I know you remember that we talked about the fact that sheep are flammable. Yes? These aren't his sheep. Sheep are flammable. Something's on fire in the middle of the midbar. What do you do? You go the other way. <laughs> right? You, you hightail it out of there. You get those sheep to safety. That is your primary concern. They're not even yours. 
You get those sheep to safety. Then you can figure out what you need to do about the fire. The first thing you need to do is make sure none of them catch fire. But what does Moshe do? Moshe doesn't run the other way. He looks closer. A malach appears. So maybe he's looking at the malach. We don't know. But what we know is here's this bush and it's a flame. And rather than get out of there, Moshe looks closer. And he sees in looking closer, enenu ukal. It is not being consumed. The fuel is not being consumed. That's what happens with fire. It consumes the fuel, whatever that is, a wick, right? The wick pulls against the oil. And without the oil, the wick, right, is burned up. But if you only have wood, then wood on fire gets consumed. Moshe notices that. How long does it take to notice that the bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed as fuel? That's one question. How long does Moshe stand there? Long enough to figure this out. And then Moshe says to himself, I have to turn and look closer even at what's going on here. Why is it the fuel being consumed? It doesn't make any sense. It's against the laws of physics. Moshe knows that. So a lot of us might say, this is against the laws of physics. Get me out of here. Like this, some, this is the X-Files. Something's happening here that should not be happening. Get me out of here. That's not Moshe's response. Moshe's response is, let me look more closely at what's going on here. For the rabbis, this is the absolute requirements of a leader. Moshe is proving at every turn. (laughs) See what I did there? He's proving at every turn that he is the man for the job because he's curious When he sees this thing going on, he doesn't run to safety. He doesn't run the other way. He doesn't react out of fear, out of caution, right? He he instead reacts out of curiosity and out of wanting to understand, wanting to see, wanting to know. And this, for the rabbis, is him passing the test. God requires a leader who can pay attention. God requires a leader who can take the time to pay close enough attention to see what's really happening. How many people walked by that sneh? Ask the rabbis. How many people walked by the miracle? How many people missed the malach and certainly missed that the sneh bo'er ba'esh but Enena Ukal was on fire, but wasn't being consumed. When and and why why did the rabbis suggest this? Because of verse four, Vayar Kisar Lirot. When once God saw that Moshe turned, Vayikra Elav Elohim. That's when God calls to Moshe. Only after God sees that Moshe turned to see. And God speaks to Moshe from within the sneh. Now, the rabbis also have a big question about, really, a bush? Really? God's going to speak to Moshe. God's going to call the prophet. God is commissioning the deliverer of 
Israel from slavery, from a bush? Really? Why? Why not from the top of the mountain? Why not be truly impressive and make the mountain smoke and make it all aflame like it's going to be when we get Torah? Why from a bush? I'm going to let y'all answer that. And then God says, don't come closer. Okay. Don't come closer. Why not? Well, lots of us have read ahead and we know what's going to happen with sacred space. We know what's going to happen even when this mountain has God's presence on it, right? You can't come that close to the sacred because it's dangerous. Just like your eye is fear and awe, same with the power that makes for holiness. It is a wonderful thing and it is dangerous. So take off your shoes because you are standing on Admat Kodesh. You are standing on holy ground. So clearly shoes are a way that to that they don't belong on holy ground. We know that the priest served with bare feet. So the idea is when you are on holy ground, you do not have something separating your body from that spot to bring shoes, sandals, whatever onto that spot is offensive. It's improper, if you will. Now God speaks to Moshe. Here's the big question. This is why it's one of my favorite texts. And this is why I'm very wedded to my interpretation of it. Is this the first time that Moses understands that he is a Hebrew? Is this the first time that Moses is told about his birth family? We don't know, but I'm going to argue yes. As an adoptee, I can tell you, all you think about is your birth family, whether kids want to admit it or not. I'm not saying everyone wants to find them. It's always there. When people said, you look just like your father, you look just like your mother. If he had spit you out of his mouth, you couldn't look more like your dad. Yes, thank you. Who do I really look like? Whose whose hands are these? Whose smile is this? So it's always there. We, we can't believe that the daughter of Pharaoh told Moshe that she was pregnant with him. That'd be a little weird. When I was pregnant with you, right? That just makes no sense. So, but, but, what, but what does he know about his background? We don't know. People want to point, even in scholarly articles, and it makes me crazy. They want to point to the verse where it says Moshe saw the taskmaster beating one of his kinsmen. And they're like, well, of course he knows because it says he sees him beating one of his kinsmen. No, the omniscient narrator knows that that's Moshe's kinsmen. We don't know that Moshe knows that. This is a much more powerful story. If Moshe doesn't know he's a Hebrew, he acts out of a sense of justice. He acts out of a sense of seeing somebody suffering and takes action. If he doesn't know he's a Hebrew, let's just, and if you want to think he does, fine. But just for a second, let's pretend he doesn't know he's Hebrew. God right here says, I'm telling you who your birth family is. I am the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God 
of Jacob. Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, these are the family names. This is who you come from. And Moshe is filled with awe. Moshe's afraid. The rabbis want to say, why couldn't it just be the list? Elohei, Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov. Why does the word God get repeated here? And a lot of you already know the answer because we've studied this together. That Avraham experienced God differently than Yitzchak. Yitzchak experienced God differently than Yaakov. It is the same God. The same God, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham is the God of Yitzchak, is the God of Yaakov, even though it was a very different experience of the divine for each of them. And each of them is a legitimate interpretation of the divine. Each of us perceives God differently. That has nothing to do with God, (laughs) right? Even each people, each religion sees God differently. That has nothing to do with God. That has everything to do with us. God has taken note, God says, of God's people in Mitzrayim. So some people want to ask the question, uh, excuse me, how long have they been enslaved? 400 years. You just noticed? You just took notice of the suffering of your people? They've been enslaved for 400 years. Where have you been? You forgot? You were busy? You had errands to run for 379 of those? What, what, where were you? Could be the question asked by the slaves. This is where the rabbis tie et sa'akatam shamati. Their cry have I heard. And this is their answer. God could not respond until there was a tsa'aka. God couldn't do anything until God had what to respond to. Yes, God knew they were enslaved for 400 years. Duh, God. At tsa'akatam shamati, once they cry out, once they object to their reality, then God can act and only then. As long as they're ready to suffer it, as long as they're ready to buy that as reality and not fight against it, not cry out against it, not lift their voices in agony about it, nothing I can do. They're they're accepting it. There's nothing I can do. But the minute their tsa'aka comes to me, I'm coming down there. And that's what we're told. And he's going to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey. Zvat chalav udvash. Chalav, of course, is goat milk, out of which one makes yogurt and cheese and stuff. Goat milk, which means there's enough pasturage to feed flocks. Udvash and honey. This is date honey. A carbohydrate in the ancient Near East famous for sustaining life uh, when often there's other things that can't be found. That carbohydrate, that concentration of sugar and, and what's in dates, the other, you know, the combination is a very potent combination in terms of sustaining life. So goat milk and date honey, in order to have date palms that produce dates, there has to be what? Water. Right, exactly. There has to be enough water 
for those date palms to flourish. So I'm bringing you to a land with plenty of pasturage, plenty of food for flocks, and plenty of water. That doesn't make much sense as a great promise unless you're from the land of Israel. <laughs> If you're writing the story because you're from the land of Israel, you know exactly why that's important, <laughs> right? Water is what sustains life in Israel and certainly what's going to sustain ah, agriculture. Okay. So I'm going to send you to Pharaoh and you will free my people from Egypt. Moshe says, who am I? to do that. And God answers, I will be with you. Doesn't answer why it should be Moshe. I'm going to ask your answers about why you think God answers this. What the heck kind of answer is this? Then comes Moshe's second objection. I don't know who you are. And they're going to quiz me on this. And I don't know the answers. How can I be your spokesperson? I don't even know you. Who are you? Because in the ancient world, you have to know which God you're serving. Because there's a ton of them. There's a ton of gods and goddesses. If you're working for one and you're going to represent that one, you need to know that one's name. Okay? Well, what does God answer? Eheyeh, asher, eheyeh. I will be what I will be. I am what I am, what I am, and what I am. So God answers with a bit of Broadway. And because um, God has a sense of humor <laughs> and loves gay men's theater. So um, gives, gives Moshe this answer and then says, tell them, eh, yeah, sent me. Who's going to know that code? Where did we get that that was the code? Where did we see that? What, do we know that? Is that true even? Okay, think about, so think about God's answer to that question or that objection. And then God goes on and says, what you can tell them is, right, I'm the God of Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov. And that's where we're going to end for now, because I don't think we're going to get past that. All right, I'm going to stop my share for a second. And I want to see what y'all are up to. Perhaps like when we see a traffic accident, we have to slow down and rubberneck. Okay, so it is our tendency to be curious when we see something odd and different, for sure. But if you've got a nursery school class with you, you're going to move them right past that car accident, aren't you? <laughs> right? Or whatever's going, it's dangerous. And you're in charge of these little kids, So that's the only difference I would add is that he's got a bunch of sheep <laughs> and there's a fire, right? So normally, yeah, we might all stop to look at a car wreck, but Moshe's in charge of these sheep. Okay. Uh, uh. Malachim are there to deliver a message. Maybe the Malach's message was getting Moshe to look clearly that is definitely part of what's going on is that the, the Malach, is trying to get Moshe's attention and God wants to see what Moshe is going to do when Moshe, when his attention is gotten. Anyone can tremble before a mountain. Fewer have the sense to look closely at a little bush. Very nice. Very nice. So it's a bush. Who cares? <laughs> right? It's just a bush. Well, that's kind of the question. It's also just a little people. 
a little people who are slaves, not a big fancy people, not a big empire people. Are you going to look? Do you care about a SNE? Do you care about an enslaved people that's completely unimportant at the moment? Or do you just care about the big empire people, the big important people, the fancy people? Very much for the rabbis, part of this whole business is, are you ready to look at a sneh? That is definitely part of what it's going to take to be the prophet, to be God's right hand. That is why, says Barry, the rabbis provide a whole spiel about Avraham finding God on his own. A person has to actively seek the divine for the divine to make contact with one. And that each one had to search out God, right? Each one. Avraham can't pass that on to Yitzchak. And Yitzchak can't pass that on to Yaakov. Everybody has to do the work. Beautiful. What was why would he know before Hashem tells him? Does someone else tell him before Hashem to tell him what? Charles, that he's adopted? Put it in the chat. God could simply say, where was I? Where were you? I'm not sure what that means. Okay. Moses needs the correct password. Yes, he needs the password. I'm still thinking about dates stuffed with feta cheese. Who is that? Susan. Susan. Of course. <laughs> Foodie. The one who wanted a food and wine trip to Israel is still back on the dates and feta cheese. Okay. <laughs> Moshe is ready to be present and see. That's exactly what this is about. Is Moshe ready to be present? Is Moshe ready to see? Of course, Charles is going to go to trauma. This could be considered a traumatic event. So, in this case, you run towards, run from, or freeze. So being traumatized by a bush on fire, he freezes. But it doesn't say he freezes. It does not say that. It says, he says to himself, I must turn aside to see this amazing thing. Gadol. Okay, you can, if you want to translate it as gadol, meaning big, meaning traumatic. Okay. But I have to turn aside to see it. He doesn't freeze. He makes a decision to look more closely. This is important for the rabbis, right? That he, yes, he runs towards it. Yes. So he's going towards whatever this is. And for the rabbis, this is critical. This is what it's going to take to get these people out of slavery. Judith, you have your hand up? Yes. Am I unmuted also? You are. Also, I think that God is aware that Moshe is a humble man. He's a man of the earth with sheep. And he kind of talks to Moshe on Moshe's terms. A huge bonfire would not be uh, as intimate a, a conversation as a little bush. So he's talking to Moshe on Moshe's terms, uh, which will draw more attention perhaps to who Moshe is. He thinks he's unworthy of this position, but he's given a sign that's on his level and he understands that. Okay. So for Judith, God meets Moshe where Moshe is and speaks to Moshe in Moshe's language and Moshe's style that Moshe is humble. I'm not so sure though about Moshe being humble. Well, he protests constantly. 
I don't know that Moshe doesn't think he's worthy of this position. Uh, you know me and Moshe. We go back a long way, me and Moshe. And as you go up and down in your relationship. Right? So at each year, we have to, and you know this, I struggle each year with Moshe. With Moshe. What's it going to be this year with the rabbi and Moshe? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Is Moshe humble? I don't know. Well, he, he keeps saying, I'm not the man. I'm really not the right guy. Maybe it's because he doesn't want to do this. Maybe it's because he's like, excuse me? Uh, I know Pharaoh. Uh, hello? Uh, there's a wanted person. Like, there's a wanted person. A poster with his face. That's on. right. He, he's a oh, fugitive Egypt. in Egypt. There's a wanted poster in every Egyptian post office with his face on it. <laughs> no, thank you. And how do you say no, thank you to somebody really powerful who's asking you to do something? I am unworthy of this honor. I am unworthy. Of, of being sent to do this job. Meaning, are you out of your mind? What kind of crazy person would say yes to this mission? This is a suicide mission. No, thank you. I'm unworthy. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, do you know that you know that joke about the rabbi and cantor on the Bima at the High Holidays and the, the cantor's wailing, I am nothing before you, Adonai. Oh, Adonai, forgive me. I've sinned. I am nothing before you. I am absolutely zero, FS, nothing. And then comes Bob Goldberg to the front, so moved by all this and says before the open arc, God, I'm nothing before you. I have sinned. I am nothing. The cantor elbows the rabbi and says, look who thinks he's nothing. (laughs) Right? I am unworthy. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Meaning, thank you. I'm not an idiot. No. So look who thinks he's nothing. So no, I'm not doing it. So I don't know. I'm, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dug in on this one. I am on the other one, but on this, I'm not dug in, but I do, I do wonder um, if in fact, it's the opposite Judith that Moshe's a little haughty. Moshe's a little whatever. And God is like, let's see if Mr. Big Shot raised in the palace killing a task, right? Let's see if he can pay attention to a sniff. Let's see, right? So that the test is not really what I previously thought. The test is who, who are you, Moshe? Right. We know, we know who you were. Who, who are you? Has being with your father-in-law, being exposed to his, being devout in his religion, is tending his flocks alone every day in the mead bar. Has that changed you at all? Let's see. Let's see if you can pay attention to a lowly sneh. All right, Charles, you have your hand up. Yes. Thank you, Rabbi. So to me, it seems like that once you've been traumatized by something, whatever it is, it can change from time to time. Perhaps it's a test of character that did he he was raised in the palace and this and this. Does it why does he pay attention to a little burning bush? Why does the you know some people when they see a fire run away from it? Why do firemen or firewomen, fire people, why do they run towards it? Why do some people just stand there because they don't know what to do? 
There's something in our character in specific people who have to do those things to run into the there's something in that character where no matter what the price is to their own self they're automatically have to act so for sure this is a character test for sure for sure everybody agrees we so right so the work is you know okay so what what exactly is being tested for Right. So is it somebody who's going to run towards stuff no matter what the danger is? That can be a good thing or a bad thing for a leader. Right. So it, is it somebody who can pay attention for more than five seconds? Is it somebody who's curious and, and probably say the rabbis, all of the above? Jody? Uh, OK. Like many great Jewish leaders, could he possibly have had a little ADD? <laughs> so he's walking along the path. And oh, look, a squirrel. Know, similar to a fly comes in the room. Okay. <laughs> There's a little burning bush. Oh, I'm just going to pay attention to that. Could this possibly be? Because we know many great Jewish leaders. <laughs> so, 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 well, so I think the bigger question is, how does ADD serve as a defining quality for a leader? Right? Because this seems to be a test and Moshe passes the test. So. Yes. So our question, yes, possibly he just has ADD. I totally relate. But but the question then is, how does ADD make a good leader, right? Distractibility is not necessarily thought of in general as an admirable quality. But those of us with ADD can tell you, we also make connections that other people don't see because our brains are everywhere, Oh, look, oh, look, oh, look, oh, look, oh, look. And it all, and then you pull all those things together. And it's like, look at that, right? Um, and we see things that other people don't see. So, so this, so it's two sides of the same coin. coin. On the one hand, distractibility. On the other hand, the ability to see what other people mm-hmm. are not distracted by, right? They, they don't see it. Mm-hmm. Mehmet? Um, I'm, I'm very impressed by um, how much the Torah appreciates these individual relationships uh, with these uh, leaders and with individuals, basically. And each time it's a different relationship, but it's always a difficult relationship. And it, um, there is always a challenge. There is always a test. Uh, and it works both ways, from, from the Jewish leaders towards God and from God towards um, uh, 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 um, these people, and um, also obviously um, towards the um, Israeli people, uh, the is- Israelites, and I-, I think the Torah wants to tell us that these our individual relationships, our one-on-one relationships, are what makes this world a different place. If we are ready to see what is there to see, then we are ready to form these relationships. Th- that's what I get this week from this text. Nice. So unlike the, any other time, Elohei Abraham, Elohei Yitzchak, Elohei Yaakov, meaning these are yeah. it's the relationship is dependent on being a personal relationship. Yeah. It can't be a relationship to the idea of fill in the blank, right? That it's it's Yudevave in direct relationship to a unique and specific human being. Yeah. And I think it's trying to tell us. Uh, 
how much we have to value our own relationships, our individual relationships, our, our friendships and, and all of that. There you go. Where does the baby Moses story fit in? I was raised with it. They lay before Moses. The hot coal story. Okay, good, Susan. Midrash. That's a midrash. It is a midrash to explain what Moses means when he says he has a species of uncircumcised lips. He has a speech impediment, is what the rabbis say. How could Moshe, the servant of God, have a speech impediment? What's that about? Well, it so happened that when he was a baby, Pharaoh was told, you're going to have a baby in your house who's going to defeat you. And so Pharaoh sets up a test, puts a crown here and hot coals here. Moshe is not an idiot. He goes to take the crown and an angel comes and moves his hand to the hot coals and he puts it like every baby in his mouth and he burns his mouth. And this is how Moshe gets a speech impediment. That's a midrash in the top. It just Joe Biden has a speech impediment too. I can't hear you. Whoever just talked. I did. Linda. Say it again. I said, Joe Biden has a speech impediment too. Indeed. I this mission requires a person who is very different from the anxiety-ridden Yaakov. Interesting. It's usually Yitzchak that I identify as the anxiety-ridden one. But yes, right? That each mission calls for a, a unique personality and a unique set of characteristics. Rita? I was going back to the Eheyeh, Asher Eheyeh. I will be what I will be. Uh, that seems to kind of fit in with the idea of having a personal God each Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov each had, a, and all of us, each of us has a different relationship. So God will be what we want it, each of us wants it to be. So it kind of ties in with that. Well, I could argue the opposite. I could argue God is saying, it doesn't matter how you see me. Eh, yeah, I share. Eh, yeah, I will be what I will be. Doesn't matter how you understand me. Doesn't matter how you see it. Doesn't matter what you want me to be. Eh, yeah, I share. Eh, yeah, I will be what I am going to be. Right? Can be both. Because I think, I think the point is in this answer is God doesn't answer the question that Moshe asked. Mm-hmm. Moshe's like, I need your name because that's how it works in this neighborhood. In case you hadn't noticed, Elohim, I need to know your name. And God doesn't answer the question because God is suggesting, I think, in, in one interpretation, God is suggesting you're asking the wrong question. That's how everybody around here works. Yes, I didn't come down with yesterday's rain. I understand that. That's the wrong approach. We're not going to do that. This is going to be a new kind of understanding between me and humanity. This is going to be a new religion. We're doing it differently. It's not about what is my name. You want to know me? You want to know who I am? I will be what I become. We don't know. I don't know who I am yet. I'm not there yet. I don't know who I am because I'm still becoming. And that to take some of this conversation and put it in here. And that is going to be dependent somewhat on y'all. My relationship with you is going to determine something about who I am. 
who I become. It's in future tense. I will be what I will be. But it could mean not the future, but rather something that isn't finished yet. That Aleph before the word is also used sometimes in Hebrew to suggest an action that has not been completed yet. Mm. I am becoming that which I am becoming. That's what you need to know, Moshe. You, you have asked the wrong question. You've asked an Egyptian question. You've asked an ancient Near Eastern question. It's not, is it Astarte or Isis or Ishtar or Baal? That's the old way of thinking. We're doing something new. Tell them, Eheyeh sent you. Tell them, I am becoming sent you. Then see what they say, <laughs> right? But so it's clear that, that God is very good at answering the question God wants to answer, not what Moshe asked. Moshe said, who am I to do this job? What does God say? God doesn't answer that question because God is suggesting you're asking the wrong question. The question is, are you going to leave me? God answers that question. I will be with you. Because as long as I'm with you, you don't need to worry about who you are. I'll take care of it. You think this is dependent on you? You think this mission, who am I to go? It's not about you. I'm going to take them out of Egypt. I'm going to do the plague business. I'm going to beat up Pharaoh. I will be with you. That's all you need to know. That's the right question. And I love it that God doesn't say to Moshe, you're asking the wrong question. God simply answers the question that God wants to answer. God is a brilliant politician. Have y'all heard some of these guys on these interviews? So do you think it was wrong for the president? I think that the sky is very blue and it is filled with clouds. And I am devoted to clouds and I love the sky. This is a political answer, right? I'm not getting caught up in your questions because they're not important to me. I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about. I'm going to talk about what I think is important, right? This is God as politician extraordinaire. All right. So I want to, I know I'm keeping you, but I, I'm just going to, because I just can't. Okay. So I know I'm keeping you a little bit, but just stay with me because I'm going to keep you a little bit longer because I love this stuff. All right. So here we go. So the other thing I want to talk about is sne and Sinai. Fire, sne, fire, Sinai. It is not lost on the commentators that the sne on fire and Sinai on fire right, are going to be related. And we've gone there before. But it's not the only time either that we're going to see the tree and fire. So let's go there. And then I want to close with that line I promised you we're going to come back to because it's so powerful. It's so incredible. So great scholar John Levinson wrote a book called Sinai and Zion. Two places, right, identified with the divine Sion and Sinai. And so he's looking here at Sne, though, right? He's looking at the play on Sne. Perhaps the play on words here derives from the notion that the emblem of the Sinai deity was a tree of some sort. Hence, the popular association of Sinai and Sne. In fact, a blessing on the tribe of Joseph identifies Yudhe Vavhe with, quote, the one who dwells in the bush. 
If Bush is not a scribal error for Sinai, the tree here is not merely a device to attract attention, as one might think from Exodus 3, which we just read, but is rather an outward manifestation of divine presence. yud heh is the Newman of the bush. The conjunction in Exodus 3 of bush or tree, since we don't know exactly the meaning of snap, and fire is not surprising in light of later Yahwistic tradition. Yahweh, your God, thunders a Deuteronomistic homilist, is a devouring fire, a jealous God. In the encounter of Moses and the burning bush, two of Yudhevavhe's emblems, tree and fire, clash, and neither overpowers the other. The two will appear again in tandem in the menorah, the tabernacle candelabrum, which is actually a stylized tree, complete with branches, almond-shaped cups, calices, and petals. This arborescent, look at that, look at that word, arborescent, that is fantastic. This $4 word, this arborescent lampstand appears not only in the tabernacle, which served as Israel's central sanctuary, but also in the temple that would be built by Solomon. The temple at Jerusalem was lit by the fires of the burning tree. I love this. Levinson is saying, the God, the Newman of the bush, of the tree, fire and tree are supposed to be opposites. They're enemies. If you have fire in a tree long enough, you don't have tree. <laughs> right? So, right, they, they work against each other. But he's saying that's the point. This is the meeting of opposites. A fire and tree and both remain. And we're going to get a fiery tree in the temple. And in the Mishkan, a beautiful interpretation suggesting that this burning tree thing was an ancient symbol of Yahweh, of fire and of nature and coming, bringing those both together. And that's why the menorah is a tree, because it's the fiery tree. I love that. All right. Mm. Now, more Amy, do we see that in any other culture? I don't, you know, I, that's a great question, Mama. I would, I, I would love to do that research. Like that would be so much fun. Um, so then uh, Maurice Harris wrote this wonderful book, Moses, a stranger among us. And Maurice Harris is quoting Levinson. I gave you Levinson just now. Now Maurice Harris is commenting <laughs> on that paragraph we just read. The Torah means for us to understand that the encounter between God and human can be spectacular or private, imminent or transcendent, intimate or forbidding, right? So spectacular or private, imminent or transcendent, intimate or forbidding. For Levinson, the guy we just read, the ancient temple's ritual lampstand whose flame was kept lit throughout each night was a symbol of both facets of the encounter with God. The menorah, combined the divine fire on Mount Sinai, meaning the big display of fireworks, the transcendent, all-powerful Yudhe with the simple, small tree or bush of Moses, a private, first, direct encounter with God. 
the presenting of these two images, a mountain and fiery thunder and a small tree in the paradoxical combination of a burning bush that is not consumed, relates a message to us about the nature of God's being. It's as if God is trying to say, you can know me intimately, panim el panim, and I am utterly unknowable. Eyeh, asher, eyeh. I am both friend and creator of the universe. Rabbi Sybil Sheridan puts it this way, Moses has a much closer relationship to God than anyone ever had, but it's still an elusive one. We understand through Moshe that although we can get very, very close, God remains always beyond us. We can never define God. What Moses teaches us in his two contradictory encounters with God, meaning Sinai and the Sneh, is that when it comes to the experiences and events in our lives that connect us with higher meaning or that cause us to discover truth, we don't need for all of it to make some kind of logical sense. So what if it doesn't all make sense? The nature of some aspects of reality may be nonlinear, may be of a composite nature with contradictory elements sitting alongside each other and creating a paradoxical tension that may be part of the truth of our own encounters with the divine in our lives. Yes? Oh, my God. Panim el panim and asher eyeh are invitations to us to try to stay open to the different ways the divine manifests in our lives. And the composite artistry of Torah is an invitation for us to remember that Western linear and logically consistent storytelling is not the only way to think about the world or to experience reality. Amen, amen, amen. We've entered a realm to quote Robert Alter once more in which the subject itself is essentially contradictory, essentially resistant to consistent linear formulation. I think this right here is probably right now one of the closest expressions of my theology that I could find. It is internally inconsistent because that's the aspect of reality we're talking about. God shows up in our lives as Sinai, as the cosmos, as the power that makes for all of this business, and God is the still, small voice of inspiration. The still, small, quiet voice saying, Amy, take a breath. Settle down. Right. So it is, it is paradoxical because that's the reality we're talking about. It's not consistent. It's not linear. Zohar and Marshall, is who he's quoting, who wrote The Quantum Society, their thoughts on the insights that, quote, quantum reality offers on the nature of truth echo their thoughts on the nature of truth, echo the multifaceted picture of truth that the composite artistry of the Torah gives us through its presentation of different and contradictory partial truths side by side. And in their book, The Quantum uh, Society, they write, quantum reality shows us that there can be many points of view or many faces of truth, some even mutually contradictory and yet all equally real in the potential sense that all of the quantum realm uh, has about it. You can read the rest uh, by yourself. I want to close it out. Torah, Midrash, and contemporary philosophers like Zohar and Marshall all present us with guidance to approach the human experience of truth or the human encounter with God, because it's the same thing, as an opportunity to recognize the partial nature 
of the moments of truth we discover. Uh, right? Mm-hmm. Mind blowing, people. Mind blowing. Thank you, Nahon. Amy. This was delicious. Nahon? <laughs> Nahon, that's delicious. That's so amazing. Um, and so I also want to share with you the thoughts of uh, a teacher who's going to come join us. We're going to have three sessions with Rabbi Michael Strassfeld, uh, who wrote the Jewish catalog in the 70s. Uh, in the Midrash, we get a Midrash about a palace on fire. I'm not going to go into it, but he brings that Midrash forward because it, it has to do with this, the burning bush. Our world is a biradoleket, uh, a palace on fire, on fire with an epidemic, discord, injustice, and more challenges than can be counted. The easy path is to ignore what's right in front of us and to resist change. When Moses called on the Israelites to leave Egypt, at first they rejected him and instead embraced the status quo. Why choose slavery over freedom? The Nitziv, a Torah commentator, says they were overwhelmed not by their labor, but rather the knowledge that it would be a long and difficult struggle to freedom right? Their suffering is not because of the hard labor they're having to do. Rather, their suffering is knowing that they're going to have to fight for freedom. So too for us. After these many months of fear and isolation, we need to join with those leaders who are paying attention in order to make the flames of this world burn with hope and with healing. Amen. And uh, I read this to you after the elections in Georgia. I read this to you after our capital was stormed by seditionists. Um, I write, so we, we got to pay attention to what's on fire. <laughs> we, we have to pay attention to what's on fire and we're going to have to fight for freedom. We're going to have to fight the way forward. It's a long fight. It's a long struggle against injustice against prejudice, against, 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 and for equality, for equity, for righteousness, goodness, justice, holiness. And the people knew that was going to not be easy. And that's what our Parsha says Michael Strassfeld's coming to address is that we have to be ready to do the work. Hine hasne bo'er ba'esh. Vihasne ha'bo'er enenu ukal. Behold, the bush is alight with fire, but the bush of fire is not consumed. I don't know if you remember, but at High Holidays a few years ago, after the California fires, I brought you this verse. This verse was read by the people, the Jews, during the medieval period, when they were being burned at the stake. When they watched people burning, when they watched villages burning, and they prayed this line at the end of their Kabbalat Shabbat every Friday night. Behold, yes, it's on fire. Yes, it's burning. Yes. But we are told, but we are promised it will not be consumed. This was a statement of resistance. This was a statement of faith that they were not going to let the bush be consumed. Cantor Marcello in Malibu put this to music. 
And right as the fires were happening, like right after they happened, we were gathered for the board of rabbis high holiday workshop. And Rabbi Ken Chazen taught it to us, Marcelo's uh, melody, and we sang it. And we used it to close every session of our gathering as our statement of faith that however bad it gets, however much is on fire, we will not allow the sneh to be consumed. That's our work. No matter how much is on fire, people, we too are on fire with Torah. We are on fire and let us continue to tend the flame and the promises. Then the sneh will not be consumed. Thank you so much for your incredible attention, for staying with me, um, for showing up every week, for, for allowing the fire to burn and allowing uh, the incredible inspiration of your receiving Torah every week to, uh, to make our people resilient and make our people filled with energy and light and warmth and goodness. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.